Then Jesus went from village to village, teaching the people, and he called his twelve disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals, but not to take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. This is the word of the Lord. Do you know anybody that packs a whole lot more than they need when they go on a journey? I know a few people who, when we go on, a, on an overseas trip, for example, ask me, have you packed yet, Peter? Have you packed yet? I say, no, no, it's, it's, I've got days yet. I'll, I'll pack the night before. I'll, I'll drag my suitcase out, throw it on the bed and throw in some socks and undies and shirts and what I need the night before I, I go. I must admit, I too try to pack less and less, pack lightly more and more each time. But every time I come home, I didn't really need that. I didn't really need that either. So I'm learning to pack a little bit more lightly. Packing lightly is what Jesus tells the disciples today in the reading. It comes on the back of a bit of a disappointment coming out of, out of Nazareth. It comes on the back of some teaching. The disciples have been watching Jesus teach and preach. And now he sends them out. He says, only take the essentials, fellas. He says, we're heading off. He says, travel light, pack lightly. Well, I've got uh, my essentials. It's looking uh, a little bit dodgy out there at the moment, looking a little bit rainy. So I've got all that I need. And we're going to head out. We're going to uh, head out the door. We're going to head out and visit someone. So I invite you to join with me. Let's go for a bit of a, a walk. Come with me, church. Now, the context here is that, is that it's coming off a, off a bit of a disappointment for Jesus. Jesus is coming off a bit of a, bit of a low point. If you were with us last week, you would know that Jesus uh, had a bit of a disappointing episode in his hometown of Nazareth. You'll know that he visited Nazareth and things didn't go as expected. Things didn't go as planned. We find that uh, the disciples, uh, the, his people of his own hometown, uh, didn't really embrace Jesus. They didn't really believe in him. And as a result, he couldn't do many miracles there at all. But Jesus didn't let that bother him. I think that's the first lesson we can, uh, we can learn from this episode here. Uh, Jesus gets right back in the saddle and says, hey, fellas, we're heading out. Let's go. He didn't linger on it. So that's the first thing. As followers of Jesus, we will run up against some, some disappointing features, some disappointing episodes in our mission. We're going to head up here. Why don't you join? Why don't you come with me? Uh, even Jesus himself had setbacks in ministry. 
Even Jesus himself had times when people failed to listen, when they failed to, to really take heed of his message. So it's going to be the same for us. There's going to be times when we don't always have tremendous successes like we hope that we might. Don't let it get you down. Are you in a place where you're feeling a little bit disappointed, where things hadn't gone as you'd hoped, as you'd expected? Please know that Jesus always, nevertheless, has a plan. His, his ways and his plan for your life is, is never defeated. He's always got something else in store for you just around the corner. So he gathers his disciples to him and he, and he sends them out. Now, this is a really key concept. This little episode here of the disciples being called and sent is a foundational text for what it means to be in mission, for what it means to be a church, really. We are called by Jesus. Remember, Jesus already called these disciples, mostly these fishermen. He's called them to be fishers of men. He's called them to himself to follow him. They are disciples at this point. The word disciple just means learner, of course. But now he's sending them out. So the 12 disciples become the 12 apostles. Now, this word apostle simply means one who is sent, the sent ones. So the apostles become the sent ones. They are sent out by Jesus to go and to take his good news out to the surrounding towns and villages. Now this is really key. The church, we're going to head straight across here. The church is still sent. We come together on a Sunday for encouragement. We come together to be built up. We come together for to, to teaching and, and for learning and, and for encouragement in our mission in the week ahead. But it's got to be more than just simply coming to church on a Sunday. You might know of some churches that have over their doors as you go out, welcome to your mission field. It's a reminder that church isn't just church in the church building when we're all together with our Christian friends in a the nice, nice, safe, comfortable environment of a church. A church isn't a church unless it is sent. We are sent out into the world. Like those original 12 apostles, we too are the sent ones. A church that isn't in mission isn't really a church. So that's a really key concept here. We are called to be followers, called to be learners of Jesus, and then we are sent out. We are sent out as apostles. We've got some, uh, some friendly local neighborhood dogs encouraging us on the way here. So Jesus uh, sends them out. Now he sends them out uh, two by two. And this, is, again, is a really important Christian concept. We're not called to be alone as a follower of Jesus. He sends them out two by two to make sure that they get some encouragement from one another. Having two people side by side means that their gifts can complement one another. One of the things I love about my young and beautiful wife is that our gifts complement each other. Her gifts complement mine, so we're a good ministry team. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, my favourite book of the Old Testament, says that uh, two are, is better than one. When one falls, the other is there to help them up. They can keep each other warm in the cold of night. And two people can much more easily uh, defend each other than simply one person by themselves. 
Interestingly as well, Jewish Old Testament law said that in a sort of a, a courtroom situation, testimony was only valid, was vindicated by the testimony of, of two or more people. So having two people sent out would have given authority to their testimony. Having two of them there meant they would have had different experiences, different ways of relating, different ways of explaining the gospel to the people that they went to. Jesus tells them to to travel light. And this is another really important part of this story, isn't it? They're not even allowed to take uh, some food. They're only allowed to take a bit of a, a rod for the journey as a bit of a walking stick, really, and as some protection against wild animals and some sandals for the rocky road. But that's it. No bag, no, no food, not even an extra tunic or an extra shirt. Now that extra tunic or that extra shirt was actually for sleeping at night. If you're out in the open, you'd have an, like an extra blanket to put over you. They're not even allowed to take one of those. This is uh, one of the ways that Jesus encouraged them to accept the hospitality of those people where they, they find themselves. Says, don't, don't worry about providing for yourselves where you're going to be sleeping and all of that drama. Just go, get on with it. Travel lightly. It's a challenge for us in the modern world, I reckon. It's a challenge for us because we have so much stuff. And as someone that's just recently moved house in the not too distant past, I know what a, a challenge it can be. We fill our lives up with all sorts of stuff. We get weighed down by our stuff. We fill our houses up with the stuff. And then we have to hire storage space to keep our leftover stuff. It can be a real challenge, can't it? Ask yourself, do I own my stuff or does my stuff own own me. Interestingly, when Jesus looked back at this little episode with his disciples uh, in Luke's gospel, actually at the Last Supper, Jesus asked them to recall that time when I sent you out two by two. He said, did you lack anything? Nothing, they say. They had everything they needed. Interestingly, in that point, however, Jesus does again send them out, but this time he actually tells them to to pack a bag and to get a sword if they don't have one. He actually arms his disciples at that point. So it's not as though Jesus is anti having some possessions. He just doesn't want them to be weighed down by them. He just wants to make sure that they have a, a right and proper relationship with their possessions, that they don't get in the way of their first calling to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. He gives them great authority, we're told. He sends them out with authority. Authority. This is the power of the Holy Spirit that is still available to us today. Jesus sends them out as his ambassadors. He sends them out as his representatives. And so too, uh, we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. Isn't that good news? Isn't that wonderful? I don't go in Pete Chapman's authority. I go bearing Christ's name. I don't have to rely on my own authority, on my own giftedness. I know that I can go in God's strength. And, and, and go with his authority, that it's ultimately his mission, that it's not all weighing me down on my shoulders. This is his deal. This is his church. This is his mission. I find that incredibly liberating. So they're called. They're sent out two by two. They're given a great authority. They're told to travel light and they're told to accept hospitality. They're told that they've got to accept the hospitality of, of those who, who they meet to not move around. This is Jesus, again, way of saying, listen, guys, don't worry about the stuff of where you're going to stay or what you're going to eat. 
Let other people contribute to your mission by housing you and, and feeding you. And don't be moving around. If someone comes to you with a, with a better option, honour the person and just stay there. Again, it was a practical way of making sure that the disciples gave all of their time and energy to the mission rather than all the practicalities of, of where they'd be staying and, and what they'd be eating. So out they go. Out they go and wow, the results are amazing. We're told that they, that they preach a they preach repentance. They, they go out and they start preaching. They preach repentance. Now, repentance, of course, isn't a popular concept these days. Repentance was the thing that those people in ancient Israel struggled to get their head around. It's a, it's a subject that many modern Aussies struggle to get their head around. We don't like to repent, don't we? We like to think that we're headed in the right direction, that we know what's best, that I'm going to make decisions for my life, that I'm the boss of my own life. So this hard word of repentance can be, can be hard for many people to hear. Nevertheless, it was John the Baptist's message, wasn't it? And in fact, it was Jesus' message. That was how he started preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is, is near. Repentance is key because the good news carries within it at first a little bit of bad news. And that bad news is that without Jesus Christ, there really is no hope. If we simply go out and tell people, hey, listen, there's a God who made you and who loves you and, and Jesus came and to, to, to save you, they need to know what they came, what he came to save them, them from. They need to understand that, well, there's, there's a God who loves me. Well, that's great. But if that's all that is, then they'll have no reason, no motivation to change their life at all, they just go on their merry way, treating Jesus as a bit of a bit of an add-on, as a bit of a flavor enhancer to their life. They need to know that they need to repent of all that is not of God. They need to know that they need to turn around, is what that word means, to turn away from all that is not of God and turn towards God, turn towards his kingdom. So they preach a, a message of repentance, and the results are are amazing. The, the results are are pretty staggering, in fact. Uh, we're told that, uh, that many demons were cast out and that many people were healed. The results were, were amazing. People were set free. This is the disciples manifesting compassion, actually making a real difference in people's lives. Their, their message wasn't simply just words. It wasn't just platitudes. They actually made a difference in people's lives. They liberated people. They set them free. I heard someone say once in a, in a lecture when I was at Bible college that all of these Christian missionaries to deepest, darkest Africa, for example, their message sounded hollow. It rang hollow unless their words were also met with actions, with deeds of love, and they provided the people with what they truly needed. There's no point saying to someone, Jesus loves you, if they're in need, if they're in physical need, and you leave them in that place without offering any help or, or any support. I love how the disciples go out. They preach the kingdom, they preach repentance, and they set people free. They liberate them. They heal them. They meet their point of need and they bless them. Now we're uh, we're about uh, we're going to have to cross a pretty major road, so we might uh, make a quick edit at this point, and I'll see you again very shortly.
Well, Jesus has sent them out. Uh, Jesus has sent them out two by two. He's told them to travel light, to make sure that they have complete dependence upon him, not on all of their stuff, not on all of their possessions. He's given them power and authority. He's told them to shake the dust off their feet if anyone doesn't listen to them. It's his way of saying, hey, listen, you're not always going to be successful. Uh, you can only do what you can do, accept it and, and, and move on. It was a symbolic thing the Jews of his day would have understood of, of letting go and, and of moving on. And of course, many people have been set free. Many people have been healed and, and liberated. I want to leave you with a, a story of an ordinary person doing extraordinary things. A fellow by the name of Wheeler Lipes, he was a pharmacist's mate on board a, an American submarine during the Second World War in the Pacific. They were thousands of miles from, from anywhere and one of the seamen on board the submarine was suffering from an acute appendicitis. He needed to operate, but the medic on board was a mere pharmacist's mate, pharmacist's mate Wheeler Lipes. What are you going to do? He said, well, uh, I've seen an appendectomy done before. I, I think I can do it. Well, all the men on board the ship stood out near the edges of the ship to stabilise it. They used some alcohol drained from the torpedoes as antiseptic. Bent tablespoons held the body cavity apart and in he went. It took Wheeler Lipes, the pharmacist's mate, 20 minutes just to find the burst appendix. It took him two and a half hours before he'd finally finished the last cat gut stitch back up through the muscle and had closed the body cavity up. It happened just as the ether was running out for the poor sailor that was being operated on. But 13 days later, that sailor was back on duty. Pharmacist mate Wheeler Lipes achieved great things in fairly ordinary, humble circumstances. Wasn't a trained surgeon at all, but he used what he had. He did what he could with what he had. He did his duty, did his calling and achieved a miraculous feat. A man's life was saved that day. I reckon like pharmacist mate Wheeler Lipes and like those original first 12 of apostles, uh, we're a little bit in a similar situation because there is no plan B. Where it? God doesn't have a, a second set of people that he needs to rely on. You and I, where it? We are called and we are sent out into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to be sent out with tremendous authority, sent by Jesus uh, to be completely dependent upon him and on his power to be liberating people, to manifest compassion, to be making a difference in people's lives. So can I leave you with a few questions? How are, are you sent this week? Where are you going to be sent? Who can you partner with? Remember, they went out two by two. Who, who can you draw on? Whose strength can you draw on? Whose strengths can you complement this week? Is there someone that you can partner with this week in setting someone free in, in some way? How can you liberate yourself from all of your stuff, from all of your possessions? 
How can you make sure that you're not being weighed down? How can you make sure that, that you are all about your primary calling of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? I hope that you this week, like those original 12 apostles, know that you are called, know that you are sent, know that you can rely on him and on him alone, and know that he can achieve great things through you. I'm going to head in here. I'm going to try to bring about some healing myself in my own way. Um, why don't you guys uh, join me? I might need a bit of a wingman. God bless.